0: Generation Church based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. We are glad that you are joining us today for part 7 of our series uh, titled Red Letters. In this series we've done a few different things. We started off by hearing Jesus teach uh, on some specific topics through our season of prayer and fasting. So we learned what Jesus spoke on both of those topics. And then we spent a few weeks looking at encounters uh, that Jesus had uh, like uh, Zacchaeus and last week with Nicodemus. And so it's been a very powerful up until this point and very challenging and encouraging. And so over the next few weeks we're going to look at a few statements made by Jesus. Uh, In scripture these are referred to as the I am statements of Jesus. There's seven of them Uh, but today as you see on the screen we're going to look at the one where he says I am the bread of life. Such an interesting phrase to say certainly to tell people. Um, I'm thankful for this topic because the last time I stood up here in front of you guys. I had to encourage you on not to eat because we were talking about fasting. And so today it's a little easier to say uh, and look at Jesus as the bread of life and knowing that we can leave here and go eat our fill of whatever it is that we're going to go have for lunch. Uh, So I'm looking forward to it. Today we're going to be in John 6 and our goal today is to understand three things that through this text, uh, we're going to see Jesus teaching a group of people, a large group of people, uh, to understand one big thing, but that through that we could understand three things. And that is that Jesus reveals to them a solution. He, or I'm sorry, reveals to them an issue and then shows them the solution and then creates a choice that they're going to have to make. And so those uh, are on your outline, but we're going to jump back to the beginning and then we'll discuss each one of those. And so let's go to our Bibles. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But we're going to jump into John 6, uh, starting in verse 22. And it says this, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near that place where they had Eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Father, we give you this time as we study your scriptures. Lord, we just ask you uh, to speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand your word on a deeper level. And most importantly, help us to see you clearer than we did when we came in. So we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this was a, a large chunk of John 6. And John 6 is a, a very long book of the Bible. But it's important to look at this and kind of see some interesting characteristics for this statement I am the bread of life alone. That just in John 6, we read uh, that I am the bread of life is the longest and most in depth of the seven statements, meaning that Jesus teaches a lot involved in this, that it is recorded or referenced after the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, meaning the feeding of the 5,000, and it's the only statement where Jesus reveals specific eternal truths, and it's also the only teaching where it's recorded afterwards that Jesus actually had people that was following him decide not to follow him after this teaching. So these are all some interesting facts, but as we look in this Chapter We realize, and maybe you're like me, that when you look in your Bible, it's broken up into different categories. I know on mine right here, John 6 is broken up into four separate categories, and so it's easy to just read it as four separate categories. It's easy to go back, I don't know how many times I've read John 6 or read specifically the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and then the very next section of Jesus walking on water and thought, well, these have nothing to do with each other. When if you read the whole chapter in its entirety, you see this common theme from paragraph to paragraph for one ultimate message, which is at the end. So I put it, uh, it's not in your notes, but I put it on the screen just so you could see what I'm talking about. There's 71 verses in chapter 6 alone, so it's a big one. And there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of meat to it. But you see the breakdown that in John 6, 1 through 15, we see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And then from 16 to 21 is the account of Jesus walking on water. And then the next big paragraph, verses 22 through 59, is our text for today. But Jesus is teaching on uh, the statement, I am the bread of life. And then the chapter ends with 11 verses, verses 60 through 71 with the words of eternal life. And so even looking at that list, you could probably even say, well, what do these have to do with each other? But there is this line of consistency from verse 1 to verse 71 that I think is there for a reason, and we see that in the teachings of Jesus as we move through it. So it's simple enough, or the best option is to go all the way back to verse 1, And to work our way back up to this statement, I am the bread of life, and what that means. And we're going to get to that in a second, but what you'll see is that Jesus had one goal for the people that were listening to this teaching. One goal, and that starts by seeing these in John 6, verse 26. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So to put this in perspective and rewind to the day before, Jesus is on one side of the sea and he has a large crowd that comes to him and he sees that they're hungry, has compassion on them, takes a little kid's lunch, blesses it, and feeds a whole lot of people, right? And it was a custom to just include the men in the count, but I read a commentary the other day that even mentioned that in this one account, he could have actually fed up to around 20,000 people if you actually counted all the children that were there and all the women that were there on top of the 5,000 men. And so it didn't just end there. Once this miracle happened and you see that he took the food, blessed it, and gave enough for everyone and even had a bunch left over, what happened after that? We know that Jesus went off to pray, and then he told the disciples to go to the other side. We know the account of Jesus walking on water. But then we find ourselves in our text for today where he's now in a synagogue in Capernaum teaching. And a lot of this and what we see is that Jesus really took it to him. Jesus really spoke the hard truth, the hard message, and very much perhaps attacked a lot of beliefs that people had. Because even within this group of people, now being at a synagogue, you can imagine that there's probably a large crowd of religious leaders, uh, some Pharisees, Sadducees, all those guys, that their one goal is to really trap Jesus into getting him to say something wrong so that they could be more right, or in their own eyes, be morally right, and to prove Jesus wrong. And so when we see this verse where it says that you're seeking me not because you saw a sign, not because you saw a miracle from God, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, you can imagine that the people that did travel from the other side at this point probably didn't stop somewhere to grab some food on the way here, right? So they're probably hungry again. So they're thinking, well, what better way? Maybe there's another kid with a lunchbox with fish and bread in it, and Jesus can take that, bless it, and feed us again. So there, which brings us to this first thing, the issue, right? The issue is perspective. How many of you know how easy it is to develop a wrong perspective about something? Or maybe um, you were told something by one person, and it changed the whole perspective, or you read something, or I don't know if how many of you have young kids in here, but if you try to communicate with a young kid and take that as truth, there's a great chance your perspective is going to be lost somewhere along the way, right? So these people, whether they're in the crowd that just ate their fill of the loaves, or they're the religious leaders that are now <coughs> intermingled with this group in this church, in this synagogue, with the idea of trying to throw things out there, which we'll see in a minute, to argue with Jesus, their perspective was wrong. They wanted only what Jesus could give them, but not Jesus himself. Their perspective was off. And so maybe some of you can find yourself in that same category where you your perspective is a little shifted maybe it's based off the experiencing the experience you're having or the season that you're in or the things that you're pursuing listen i know we all need something and we only we can only get it through god's love and favor and his support but if our motive is to pursue god for what he could give us then we're never going to really and truly know god And the best way to evaluate that is to look at your prayer life. If your prayer life is asking for things more than it is asking to know God or what God thinks, then it's probably a great point to start there and ask God and the Holy Spirit to begin to open your eyes and to shift your perspective into seeing God for who He really is. Because we're going to touch back on this in just a few minutes, but we have the example in Exodus 16 right, with the issue. If you go back to the children of Israel when they're slaves in Egypt, and I'm sure before they're rescued, they're praying to be rescued, but then they're actually rescued after they see the ten plagues happen and that none of them are touched, and they're finally set free. And then they see uh, the God part the Red Sea, and then they are given manna in the wilderness because if you recall at this point, they're complaining that, man, we had better food when we were slaves in egypt so maybe we should just turn around apologize for leaving and maybe this new group of egyptians that aren't at the bottom of the red sea will forgive us and we could go back to having good food right it's insane to think about that with the wrong perspective it'll send you back to slavery instead of keeping you in freedom and it goes further they're in the wilderness. They need food. God gives them manna, a fresh batch every day with the dew of the ground. But then that becomes boring. That becomes where it's not good enough. So they start complaining again. And then God ups the ante a little bit and gives them quail. But this time uh, it just stays there. He's not giving them new stuff or taking away the old stuff and giving them new stuff. So it starts to rot and it starts to stink. So then they're complaining again. And I can't help but think that if they had the right perspective then, could that perspective have led through the generations to come to where we find ourselves right now? Because you would think that if they saw the hand of God and they were rescued from Egypt, then they saw the Red Sea part, and they saw the blessings of the man and the quail, and they saw that they were being led every day by a pillar of smoke and every night by a pillar of fire, you would think God is real. Right? This is all I need. He's given me enough. He took me out of slavery, but yet it was never enough. All they did was complain. All they did was have this perspective well, maybe God can just give us something else, and that'll help. And it always led to them messing up. It always led to really terrible circumstances for them, and they were always, maybe for a small season, would turn their eyes back to God, and then it would get hard again. That's why Jesus says in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. What they needed to realize is that God Himself is enough. So challenge ourselves to have this perspective and knowing that God is enough, that there's nothing more that He could do for us that would ever make things better. If our perspective is to have for him to do things to make this life better and that's where it stops, then we're going to miss the mark every time. And I mentioned a few weeks ago in my message where um, we're talking about fasting, where I knew a guy when I lived in Tuscaloosa, he was a college student. Every time we would go through a season of prayer and fasting, he would only pray till he felt like God answered his prayers. And as soon as he felt like God answered these prayers, he would stop coming to the prayer part and he would stop fasting. He would stop his pursuit. So his motive was just to get from God. It wasn't to know God. It wasn't to know him better. It wasn't for God to transform his life through his faithfulness. It was just, let me get only what God can give me. That can't be our perspective. He says in John 6, 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So if you want to know what Jesus means when he's referring to himself as the bread in this whole passage, he mentions something along the way of him being the bread or the bread of life six times in just this passage. So that, he's really trying to push it, but he's really going against what a lot of these religious leaders probably have believed up until that point and really stepping on their whole belief system, but also challenging the people that he p- just performed the miracle for to not see the miracle, but to see him. To not see just the gift, but to now pursue the giver. His goal for this was simple. He wanted everyone to view him through an eternal perspective. If we view our lives and we view what Jesus has done in our lives up until this point through the lens of our life as it is right now and not through the lens of eternity, then we're going to fall short or feel like we're meeting unmet expectations every time. And it's a struggle. We are talking to our youth after our youth camp last month And just, we came back from camp on Sunday, that Wednesday. So two days, two and a half days. And we're talking about what God did in their life at camp. And some of them (coughs) brought up that they were frustrated because they had such a good encounter with God at camp. But they had gotten so frustrated, whether they fell into a struggle when they got back or whether they found that it was going to be really hard, because how many of you know when you have a mountaintop, cool God moment with the Lord, it's not long after that that the enemy's going to bring whatever he can to try to rob you from that experience. And they were talking about how they were so frustrated that it was basically like what they'd experienced just two days before that, they hadn't experienced it at all because they were frustrated. And because that the enemy was now in their lives and trying to distract them from what God was doing. We have to have a perspective that what God is going to give us isn't to sustain our faith, but it's meant to fuel our faith. Because if what God gives us is what we hold on to to sustain our faith, then that means when something bad happens, or we experience pain or confusion or disappointment, our minds shift from what God did or from what God gave us to what's going on in our lives to where we forget all of this. But if we realize that there's only one way to sustain our faith, and that is Jesus himself, then we're able to use the things that he does in our lives to then fuel our faith in pursuit of him and our relationship with him. Which brings us to the second thing, the solution. And that solution is belief. There was a lot of people in this group. Now, there's, there was probably a good amount of people that were very eager to hear this teaching. We just learned last week about Nicodemus and how there was this, you know, in John 3, where he has this initial encounter with Jesus talking about being born again. And that was a pretty long process to where you see that Nicodemus actually gave his heart to Jesus, not from what you know most Pharisees look at God as, but that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And so you have to think and assume that there are people, a part of this crowd, that are eager to hear from Jesus, but for the most part, they only wanted what Jesus could give. So what do I mean by that? It was through grace that Jesus fed them. Jesus didn't walk around this hillside and evaluate each person or evaluate each family and be like, man, you're a train wreck. You need to go fix yourself before I can give you food. Or you need to go sacrifice something before I can feed you. It's through my grace that I'm going to fill you up, feed you now, or give you this satisfaction. But what I want you to see is that this satisfaction that you're fixing to experience is false, and the only real satisfaction is who I am. And so he's challenging them, and so he finds himself in this point teaching. And so it was through grace he fed them, but it was um, it was through his authority, and it was through who he was that he taught them. It was through truth that he taught them. And how many of you know, a lot of times we don't want to hear the truth. The truth hurts. When it comes to being a believer, there's a lot of truth that we sometimes push to the side because it's painful, but it's that same truth that we need to be who God has called us to be. If we're ever going to be freed from our yesterday so that we can be who God has called us today, then we have to start with the grace, but then we have to be obedient to the truth. And a lot of people listening to this teaching weren't obedient to the truth. That's why we find in verse 66 that they actually left. And these were some of his big group of disciples, not the 12, but a lot of people that have probably been one foot in and one foot out, loved the idea of Jesus, but then heard this deep truth and realized, ah, this isn't for me. Is there something in your life right now that's keeping you from living the truth that Jesus is teaching you? Is there some, maybe you think that some sin you're holding on to is too big for you to lay at the feet of Jesus so that he could give you both grace and truth? It's like the woman at the well, right? She probably could have thought that the well was too deep, so to speak, for Jesus to give her enough water. It's interesting that Jesus even said, hey, you know who I am now, go tell your husband, right? Maybe the very things that she's trying to hide from people, Jesus was pushing her through so that she could experience his grace and truth. And like we mentioned before how Jesus said that it that your fathers ate the manna and died, also in this point of the scripture is that they the religious leaders tried to trap him. It was like, well, this is when this happened. They ate it. They were a part of all of this. And Jesus responds in verse 29 that the work of God is that you believe in him who he sent. Whom he sent. So if the belief, if you have no belief in God, well then you're definitely not going to have any belief in Jesus. Therefore you can't experience Jesus the way he wants you to. You can't believe in what Jesus can do if you can't believe in Jesus for who he is. And that's what he's trying to get them to see, that once they shift their perspective to an eternal one, then it's that point that they could actually believe on Jesus, believe in who he is, believe in who he is as a person, not just the fact that he fed them. It's like any other relationship that you have. If you're married in here, I doubt that you base your marriage and the strength of your marriage on what you can receive from your spouse right? Like you trust them. You believe in them. You know them. If you were to look up this belief word, it means to, to know Jesus, to really know him. And if there is no knowing Jesus, then there, we're not going to be able to have belief in him. Certainly the belief that he's talking about right here. In our text from last week, in John 3.18, it says that whoever believes in him, believes in him, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So this Jesus is saying in this text, he's, we're not believing in what He can do. We're not even believing in the power that He has, but the belief should only come in His name, in who He is, in where He came from, that this isn't just some prophet This is the Son of God. This is God in flesh that came to earth and laid everything aside so that he could eventually give his life for you and stand in the gap so that you would have a way into eternity. That is who you need to know. We can't have a relationship based off what we can receive. That's a selfish relationship. But if we focus on the knowledge of who God is, then the freedom starts after that not based off of what he can do for you or even what you could do for him because we would certainly fall flat. We continue to fall flat every day, but it's because of who he is that is what keeps us going and what we are to experience. And so as we get ready to close and the band comes up and we get to the third part, which is the choice, And when I was preparing for this, I really wanted to use a different word. But when I read the scripture for this point, I can only think of one thing, and that's satisfaction. We have to make the choice on this side of heaven, in the midst of the junk that we walk through, the hard seasons that we're walking through, the valleys that we feel like we're stuck in. We have to make the choice to be satisfied. And it's not satisfaction in what you see, but satisfaction in who is leading you. Satisfaction in God. And I mentioned verse 66 where, you know, you you have this point where a lot of people leave. And I can imagine maybe Jesus felt a little frustrated in this point because he probably looked at these people I mean, if it was compassion that caused him to bless them to the point where he feeds a whole lot of people, when you're compassionate towards someone and they don't believe what you have to give them or they don't believe in who you are, that's frustrating. That's discouraging. And he looks at the 12 and he says this in verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go as well? Go away as well? And I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? So in other words, I don't have any other option. I know who you are. I know that you're the son of God. I know that you are God in flesh. But he says, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's that verse and that statement where your perspective shifts, where you find belief, and you find eternal satisfaction. Because let me tell you, I could go out on a limb right now and go to every person in this room and there's probably something that you were unsatisfied with in your life. Maybe something that you're frustrated with. Maybe it's at someone. Maybe it's a tiring season. Maybe you're believing for God to do something that you've been praying to for years. But I know that we all want that eternal satisfaction. And I plead with you today the to only way to have your perspective shift is through an experience and to make that choice. Because in reality, and if you don't see this in culture, just look around. But it becomes more and more clear as a Christian that the choice is ours to decide to believe in what this this word says and to believe in the experience that we've had. Because this teaching that Jesus delivers to these people wasn't just, it certainly wasn't a feel-good message. It certainly wasn't a message saying, hey, just come to me just like you are and it'll work out. But he left the choice in their hands and people actually walked away from God himself standing in front of them saying, all you have to do is believe in me and eat of me And know me as the bread of life and be eternally satisfied. And he's saying that to you today. Don't look at what's going on around you. Don't look at the issues in your life. Don't try to find satisfaction that's here one day and gone the next. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life like a ship in the ocean in a storm, just swaying side to side and just simply hoping that it gets better. But with God, there is eternity. But the choice is yours to believe in that. And that comes with an encounter with the living God. So Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to taste and see that you are good. To taste and see that you're better. And Lord, whether we see ourselves as a member in this crowd and we hear you say that you are the bread of life and that anyone that comes to you will never hunger again and anyone that believes in you will have eternal life God let us believe that let us encounter that let us never focus on only what you could do but focus only on who you are that if you never answered yes to another prayer in our life simply your love for us and who you are as a person is more than enough. So I pray for those that are in here that might be listening online that maybe have never met you. Maybe have never encountered you. Maybe they even came in here today as a skeptic and wanted to prove otherwise. Lord, that you see them exactly where they are and that you love them. You have a plan for them. Lord, I pray that they never hunger again because they have encountered your love, and your presence. And you have given them a taste today of eternity. And as we go back into worship, God, that we just cry out to you right now, Lord, to just fill us and satisfy us with a supernatural, eternal blessing, Lord. We give you this. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. In Jesus' name.